Oh, I'm pretty good. How are you? Good. Welcome to the fourth episode of Church Jams Now. Church Jams Now, volume four. Volume four. For those of y'all that are just now tuning in, Church Jams Now is myself, Kylan Savage. And myself, TJ Smith. And the idea of the show is we are both former youth group kids and current music nerds. And we go through famous Christian rock albums from the 90s and 2000s and see if they're any good. Do they hold up? Yeah. Are they bops or are they flops? Who knows? How do you feel about it so far, TJ? Let's check in. Let's do a little State of the Union. Let's see how we're feeling about it. At this point, we still haven't released any episodes. Let's tear back the curtain a little bit. Yes. We're creating this in a vacuum. So either lots of people are listening to this and really enjoying it. And for that, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. But it could also be my dad's the only person that ever listens to this. Hi, Dad. (laughs) And that would be okay, too. That's true. But yeah, no, I think we're having a good time. I certainly am. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to, to bounce back to the past and spend some time with these classic albums yeah you know one thing that we haven't really addressed that much in the other episodes is we really started recording this right when the COVID-19 thing happened we were all in lockdown and so we've recorded remotely but this is the first time that we're recording together in person we get to look each other in the eye not via zoom there's a different energy I feel a little bit of a different vibe we are still socially distant yes Getting to look you in the eye, there's a there's a platonic intimacy that I experienced now that I that I didn't in the past. That's very true. It's good I like to see that. you, Kylan. You too. I like platonic intimacy. Yeah. I miss it. I miss any intimacy with I, I know. Anybody that's not my wife. Yeah. My dog. Remember hugs? Remember those? Vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. Yeah. So none of that really matters. You know it does matter. We're getting into some music. Yeah, we are. Uh, if you guys remember last week, we talked about Five Iron Frenzy. We did indeed. That was a great episode. I was really stoked about that. Like, it turned out pretty good. Yeah, I think it turned out scossum. Yeah. <laughs> scossum. Oh, hell yeah. But if you listen last week, then you will know also if you read the title of this podcast, I guess you would know, right. too, that we are talking about Sixpence None the Richer. We're gonna Let's just dive right in. In the words of Stephen Curtis Chapman, <laughs> we're diving in. Going deep. I think I'm going to do that every episode. <laughs> I hope you do. Until, unless we do that Stephen Curtis Chapman record. Then, and then you won't say Then it. I won't. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think this is going to be a pretty quick first part because I'm not super familiar with Sixpence and on the Richer. Besides, obviously, the mega hit that was Kiss Me. Right. But beyond that, I don't have much familiarity with them. And I would say I have even less than you do. So I've said about as much as I can other than uh, they're a band and I just knew that they were vaguely Christian. Yeah. So I guess we, I mean, we're already getting into it. So usually we save our recollections of the record for after a little history of the band, but I guess we can just jump right into it. I know that they also did a cover of There She Goes that was really big. Oh yeah. Okay. Beyond that, I feel like Kiss Me was in every TV show and movie in like 1998. All of them. But I didn't even know that they were like a Christian band for a long time. Mm -hmm. I just kind of always heard them in Hastings. Right. Or television shows on WB that 
Yep. I felt like I wasn't supposed to watch. Oh, yeah. Because, the, like, teen dramas. Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Of, like, being raised in a religious home, like, not being able to... I got to watch Seventh Heaven. Oh. Seventh Heaven was the one because it was about the Christian family. Right. Where the guy was the pastor and that, and Touched by an Angel. Oh, yeah. Remember Touched by an Angel? I do. I know this is way, way, way a tangent, but I feel like it's around this time. Yeah, it's within the zeitgeist. Yeah. Makes sense. That's yeah. such a weird time that on primetime television, there were two major shows about very Christian things. Mm-hmm. And yet they, they seemed to do really well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Touch by an Angel seasons. being huge. I remember I had a novelization of Touch by an Angel that I read when I was what? like eight. Yeah. That's I was amazing. Like, it was like a 400-page fiction book. You were reading a 400-page book when you were eight? Yeah. Kylie. I used to be really smart. You're amazing. I used to be really smart. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I, I You know, we kind of talked about with DC Talk and stuff like that. You know, I feel like specifically the mid to late 90s, there was a lot more overlap in terms of evangelical Christian entertainment mm -hmm. entering secular pop culture right that i feel like no one really had before or since mm -hmm. and i wonder what that is about that time in america yeah i don't know i mean you know obviously our perspective is going to be biased based on the experience that we had growing up in the 90s um and not being able to see back into history a little more experientially but i do think it's interesting to consider that maybe america was a more um staunchly christian nation in earlier decades and then became a little more mainstream secular as far as entertainment goes right in like the 70s 80s and then it was almost like in the 90s christian quote-unquote pop culture was like swinging back like the pendulum was swinging back right yeah and saying like oh yeah well we can produce good content too here it is right yeah does that make sense i think so and i think that was probably like you know that seemed to be on the tail end of the rise of televangelists and right. things like that where i think just more people were exposed to that aspect of christianity right and so through media yeah but it's definitely I feel like bands like Sixpence None the Richer, which I don't think they were overtly Christian. I'm curious once we get into the album yep. to see really, but they didn't seem like an overtly Christian band. Right. And I wonder if a lot of people in the Christian community, how they felt about it at the time. I mean, we were both young, yep. you know. I feel like the only but, reason I even knew or thought that they were is because maybe they made it onto like some kind of Christian hits tape or something or CD, and maybe through that list of songs, I noticed them and then kind of cataloged that, like, oh, they're Christian. Yeah. They're on this mixtape. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Hmm. Wouldn't have been called a mixtape at the time, but... A compilation disc? Compilation disc. Yeah, That's the go. right terminology. Way to go, Kylan. No problem. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's get into it a little bit. Let's talk about who is in Sixpence None the Richer. So they were formed in 1992. Um, they started in New Braunfels, Texas. Wow. You know, I know we're both Texas boys. So. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, that's pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, but the current, I'm not going to talk about past members because I'm not super familiar with a lot of them. But uh, Lee Nash is the lead singer. You also have Matt Slocum, who I believe is the guitarist. Justin Carey and Rob Mitchell seem to be the core of Sixpence on the Richer. Like any band that's been around that long, right. there have been a lot of lineup changes and things like that. Sure. Uh, but it looks like they broke up in 2004 and then got back together in 2007 and are still recording and wow. writing music and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know they were still doing it. Yeah, I didn't either. Good for them. I know. I'm always curious about that. Like, I think about that specifically in terms of emo bands that I was really into in high school. Yep. And I've noticed a trend, too, with a lot of these Christian bands that either break up and get back together or just continue on. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like musically, the things that I'm interested in, I've sort of moved on. Like, it's always really surprising to me mm -hmm. to see that these bands are still performing and recording and making albums and stuff. Because yep. I'm always like, who who are the people that are in 2019 or 2020 going to buy the new Sixpence None the Richer record? Right. I was going to say see them in concert, but... I, you know. Yeah, we don't, we're not doing that these days. Yeah, but that's just interesting to me. Yeah, like, no, I don't... it is. I, I feel like it's kids that are the age you were when you heard about them now. Yeah? You know what I mean? You like, think so? I mean, if they find their target audience, maybe they just keep making music for that window. Yeah. Like that age group and that demographic, that cultural yeah uh, dynamic you know and and they just stick with it that's true i'm just throwing that out there but like i yeah. feel like if you know because I, I knew like when i grew up in in the church reliant k was my jam right like yeah as we've mentioned a lot of other bands they were one of those that i loved and then i moved into a phase of like appreciating them on a more casual basis but then as i grew up the kids like coming into the youth group as I was like graduating from high school, they were all about Reliant K and they were more familiar with their newer works. It's almost like a passing of the torch where, you know, the band keeps cranking out the same, not the same music, but the same sort of music for the same audience. And maybe the ones that got into them when they were younger and they're diehard fans, they keep following them and they grow with them. And maybe they also adopt some new listeners. Yeah. Yeah, I think with bands like that that have stayed together and continued to record music over multiple decades, I feel like they're just going to make music to make music and they'll find their listenership. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I should say as well with all that, I don't mean any of that disparagingly because right. I would I would love that. Of course. I, I would love to just have like to not be crazy famous but to be able to make music consistently for 20 plus years and have a core audience of people that will keep following you yes exactly and you might adopt new listeners as you go too yeah yeah that's what's up it is what's up so good for you yeah sixpence way to way to keep cranking it out totally um okay so i found out a little bit about the band i never knew that their name, actually, it was a quote from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, uh -huh. which is like the most I'm in college and I'm in a Christian band thing you can do yep. for a name, right? Like It really is. Like, I'm sort of philosophical. Exactly. Look at me, guys. Yeah. Not that Mere Christianity is bad. It's a great book, but it is. that's totally something I would have done Oh yeah. in college. Completely. Just been like, yeah. I'm going to take this obscure quote from mm -hmm. 
this awesome philosophical Christian book, and that's going to be the name of. And you you probably like wouldn't be uh, very vocal about it. Like you you might kind of like kind of shrug your shoulders and look down at the ground and be like, oh yeah, it's just from mere Christianity. Right. No big deal. You probably never heard of it. Yeah. (laughs) Probably have a tattoo of it on on my arm. Uh, Yeah. So the quote, basically uh, that point in the book says, I'm pulling this directly from Wikipedia. That's usually our biggest source for read it off, baby. All right. Uh, A little boy asks his father if he can get a sixpence, a very small amount of English currency to go and get a gift for his father. The father gladly accepts the gift, and he's really happy with it, but he also realizes that he's not any richer for the transaction. C.S. Lewis was comparing that to his belief that God has given him and us the gifts that we possess, and to serve him the way we should, we should do it humbly, realizing how we got the gifts in the first place. So that was actually the lead singer, Lee Nash, talking about it on The Late Show with David Letterman. That was her explanation. That is a really cool, like... As much as I was just a second ago making fun of it, I do really like when bands put a lot of thought into naming things. Yep. I do think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and to be able to so concisely talk about it, I really respect that as well. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I know. Oh, okay, here we go. Here is here is where they cross paths with someone we've talked about okay. quite a bit before. Mr weirdo himself steve taylor oh shoot he did all the newsboy stuff so they signed uh. in 1997 they signed to steve taylor's label squint entertainment hmm. okay and i don't think that steve taylor produced that album but i do know remember we talked about this he directed the music video for right. kiss me right so he was kind of tied up in a lot of these alternative christian bands in the mid 90s right he he just got his his fingers in a lot of different Yeah. He was like the late nineties Christian version of Brian Eno. Right. In terms of like U two and talking heads and all that. You know that seventies, yep. eighties alternative rock. How he right. kind of anything that you're really interested in and you thought was really cool, you go back and look, you're like, Oh, Brian Eno did that. Same with Steve Taylor, I'm finding out. Like I didn't realize how influential Steve Taylor was to a lot of these bands do we need to do like a specific steve taylor steve taylor episode like a bonus episode where That'd we just do a deep dive on steve taylor i feel like maybe he woke up one day in like middle school or something and he was like i'm gonna be the ccm brian Eno." probably <laughs> probably <laughs> and then he did it yeah <laughs> that's so crazy yeah that's wild hold on my wife texted me Hey, wife. She said she loves me and says hi to you. Oh. And that we should open a window. Um. All right. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's not much else. Okay. So I don't think they they won. They didn't win any Grammy awards, but they were nominated twice. Okay. Once for best pop performance for Kiss Me. Gotcha. And for best rock gospel album, their first album in 1997. Remember we talked about this in the very first episode. Yep where most of the winners of the best rock gospel album were Petra and DC Talk. And then they got rid of the award in 2012. Okay, so so I'm I'm I've been looking up. I can't quite find I can't quite find a specific reason why there's a discrepancy here. So if anyone knows, that would be awesome. Let us know, but the album came out in 1997. And everything I'm reading is that it was nominated 
for the best rock gospel album that year. But when I'm looking through the Grammy Awards for best rock gospel album, it doesn't. It says that it wasn't nominated until 1999. Two years later. Which is really strange because Crazy. if it did come out in 1997, then it would have lost to Jesus Freak. Right. As we know. But if 1999, like this says, it lost to Ashley Cleveland's You Are There. Who? No clue. But the other nominees that year were Petra, Big Tent Revival, and Audio Adrenaline for okay. Some Kind of Zombie. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it looks like, you know, they became really big in that late 90s, early 2000s. Came out with a couple albums. Then in 2004, they broke up. And in 2007, they decided to get back together. They did a Christmas album. Every Christian band has to do a Christmas album. You got I mean, to do all, a pretty much album. almost any artist Christmas has to do album. a Christmas album at some point. You got to do it. The last thing it says on their Wikipedia page, on November 12th, 2016, the band performed at Love Love Rock Festival in Taiwan. Okay. So. I thought that was quite an experience. Yeah, I wish I knew more about this band. But I think that's kind of why we picked it, too. You know? Yep. We're not. The first three, or the first two, we were both pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. Third one, I was less so. Mm-hmm. So now we're kind of evening the playing field where sure are. neither of us really has any expectations. Like, what do you think this album's going to be like? Based solely on what you know <laughs> right now of Sixpence on the Richer. I think it's going to be a pretty, like, middle-of-the-road, pleasant listening experience. Yeah. Just I'm, kind of like a chill, soft rock. I'm imagining very, like second wave coffee shop yep late 90s starbucks oh yeah you know with soft lighting maybe beanbag chairs sure you know what i mean just like that kind of of coffee house feel pastel colors that don't really work together right but they're there yeah that's kind of what i'm feeling too yeah i wonder if there's going to be any standout hits besides kiss me i'm always curious about that when bands that are ostensibly one hit wonders Mm -hmm. when you do a deep dive into the rest of their catalog even specifically other songs that are on the same record right i've found that you know either you find other songs that are way 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 better than that giant single Mm -hmm. or you find the rest of the record is pretty weak and all it does is just kind of hold up that one the single big single yep so you know i don't know i don't know how it's gonna yeah, I'll say this. A lot of my favorite bands, like, ever since I kind of started really delving into music, like, as far back as I can remember, a lot of my favorite bands, I liked a lot of their deep cuts or, you know, final tracks or whatever a, a lot more than their singles. Um, in fact, I'd get real tired of the singles. Right, yeah. And, and just didn't really see what was so special about them. But I loved that band because of track six, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or whatever. So, yeah, I'm really curious to see how, how this album holds up with that. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I think so. Well, do we have anything anything else you want to talk about? Like I said, I mean, we said right up top, you know, this I think will be kind of quick little first part. I mean, we are at 25 minutes. I just, I just kind of mm. wonder whether you think... This album's gonna be a flop or a bop, Kylan. Oh yeah. What do you think? Man, we don't really have like a middle option. Nope, we don't. Maybe we should. 
No, no, I think we got to keep it. We got we got to keep it flop or bop. Fair enough. I think hmm what oh god. So DC Talk, I thought it was going to be a bop. Mm-hmm. It was a flop. Take me to your leader. That was going to be a bop. It was a bop. Was, what yeah. did I say about Five Iron Frenzy? I don't recall. I think it was it ended up being a flop. For you, yeah. But I don't remember what I predicted it was going to be. Mhm. So you know what? I'm just I'm I'm just switching up. I think it's going to be a flop. I think Kiss Me is really going to stand out, but everything else I think could have been done by any other Paula Cole or Tracy Chapman or something. I don't think there's going to be anything really super interesting to me. Right. And I I, I just hate, I want every every album to be a bop. And I always feel really bad. Of course. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to Sixpence and the Red Germ. I just don't know if it's going to really hold. I mean, it really was like their first album too. Right. And I think with a lot of bands' first albums, there is a sort of rawness to them. You know, there there's sort of an emotional quality of, there is an excitement of, we've been working on these songs for a long time. Right. Usually the first album is better than, than the second album because right. you have a lot more time to think about it, but you're also inexperienced when it comes to being in a studio. But then this one song became massive. Right. So I just, I wonder if the rest of the album is just going to sit under the cloud of that one massive song. I don't know. I I think I'm going to go with flop. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, I like what you're saying. And it's true that, yeah, the freshman album is like, there's a raw, vulnerable quality to it. And I've always like, that has always endeared me to a lot of first albums. And there have been a lot that, that didn't really land for me for that exact same reason. So I'm curious, especially kind of going back, listening retroactively to this, having never heard these songs, I wonder if I'll be a little more graceful. Right. Um, so I am going to say that I think it's going to be a slight bop. Like bop, I'm going to put bop, it in the bop category. Bop adjacent. Bop adjacent. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. I'm excited. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break and we're going to listen to this album and we'll be right back with our analysis on Church Jams Now. Stay tuned. Hey, hey, jammers. TJ here with a quick reminder about our Patreon. You know, if you like what we do, you're digging the podcast and you want to dig a little deeper, um, you can support us on Patreon. There's all kinds of different tiers that we have available, starting as low as $2 a month. Uh, You can get early episodes, uh, and then other tiers include bonus content and something that we're really excited about called the Cover of the Month Club. So if that's something you'd be interested in, you can find and support us on Patreon.com or through the Patreon app just by searching Church Jams Now. All right, thanks. All right, welcome back to Church Jams Now. We just spent a beautiful hour sitting down by the river with my Bluetooth speaker, listening to Sixpence and on the Richer. It was lovely. It was lovely. A nice sunny day. It was. I don't know. It felt felt very peaceful. It did. Definitely better than listening to this while doing the dishes in my house. Yeah, I hate doing the dishes at your house, Kyler. (laughs) Why do you make me do that? I can't think of anything clever. I'm too hot. (laughs) I took off my sweater. (laughs) All right, so should we get right into it? Let's do it, man. We did talk about doing something fun for this back half. 
if this album were a person. Oh, yes. Okay, so this is a segment we're going to do occasionally, probably specifically on episodes we think might run a little short. If this album were a person, famous or otherwise, Mm -hmm. who do you think this album would be? And why? Yeah. All right, well, you got you got an answer. I don't I think about it. But I thought we could uh, maybe do it halfway through. Okay. There's 13 tracks on this album. So maybe around track six. Perfect. If you guys have listened to four episodes thus far, hopefully you get a little bit of a sense of our personality. Yes. So maybe guess who you think we're going to say. Good luck. Good because <laughs> I don't even know what I'm gonna say yet. No clue. Let's uh, let's get right into it. We yeah. start with track one. We have forgotten. I I liked the intro. I did too. I wrote it as a very '90s intro. Yes. And I like the verse. I said, the bass seems blurry. It does. I was not impressed with the bass on this track. No. There is not that sweet, sweet bass I was hoping for. Like both the playing and the production. Yeah. Like it the felt, sound it kinda... felt very like a guitar player that was taking over bass. Mm. They did the root notes. They were very adequate, but they weren't adding a lot to the production. Right. Uh, also, the verses on this one make me think of like a, a down-tempo Regina Spector song. Okay, that's interesting. I wrote Mazzy Star. Oh, yeah. It felt very Mazzy Star. Uh-huh. That What is the big Mazzy Star song? Fade Into You. Yep. Fade Into You. Yeah. Yeah, it felt very much along those lines. Right. Little did I know that would be a precursor for how I felt about a lot of this record. <laughs> okay. All right. But um, yeah, I love the guitar on this too. One thing about this whole record, the guitar tone is phenomenal. Yeah. And I love that very, like, the guitar tone that, or the guitar playing that's very, like, open chords on an electric guitar. Like, mm-hmm. playing electric guitar kind of like an acoustic guitar. Oh, yeah. That feels very of the time. Yep. But I really enjoyed it. That's kind of the only way I know how to play electric guitar. Yeah. I mean, so me too. I started out I as a... Resonate with that. Yep. I know power chords <laughs> and how to play like an acoustic guitar. Uh, I said the the guitar solo before that second verse made me think of like Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. But that was also a lot of this stuff too. Once again, yeah, uh, it's just very much of its time. Right. The one thing about this song, I kept waiting for it to get bigger. Mm-hmm. I like, kept waiting for a drop. Right. Like something big to happen and it never did. Yep. It got really jammy, but nothing really happened. This was kind of the thing we talked about the second half of a lot of the Newsboys songs. Right. Like where they just kind of kept going mm-hmm. and nothing. It didn't ever evolve. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So it got yeah. kind of boring after a while. On on a similar note, I wrote that like I liked the verse. I thought it was really interesting, both like the progression, kind of the dynamic of it, the lyrical mm-hmm. feel. And then the chorus, like, it just didn't do it for me. Yeah. I didn't like the progression. The melody wasn't interesting. Yeah. I just kind of got bored. And then when she went back to the verse again, I was like, okay. Yeah. I'm back into yeah. this, you know? Exactly. Something I did find interesting about this, too, like when the harmonies, when she started doing harmonies on top of her main vocal, mm-hmm. I could definitely tell how much of an influence this was on Isley. 
in particular. Yes. For all I was the trying emo fans. to put my finger on who like what band I knew growing yes. up that this reminded me of, and that's it. Yeah, vocally, vocally, a lot of the harmonies and stuff. It yeah. felt very, very, very much early Isley. That's cool. I'm yeah. so glad that that you were able to put your finger on it like that. Yeah. I would not have placed it, and that's it. That's it well, exactly. <laughs> the way I wrote it too, I just literally wrote, "Okay, Isley." <laughs> Oh yeah, the first line, dreams, inconsistent angel things, also feels very nineties. Yeah. Like it feels very flowery, but doesn't really mean Say anything. Say anything. Yep. Yep. That's nineties. Spoiler alert: that <laughs> I felt that way about a lot of the record. Mm, okay. When I was looking up all the lyrics to the songs as we were listening to them, it seemed like there were not a lot of lyrics per song. Yep. But she packed or whoever. Um, who are the main credited songwriters? Matt Slocum. Chris Donahue. And Chris Donahue. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think the lead singer, I don't think she really wrote anything. I think she was just mainly vocals. Mm-hmm. Felt like they packed a lot of flowery language in not a lot of lyrics. Right. So it's like, I don't know, it was very faux deep. Yeah. It felt, a lot of it felt very like college coffee house vibe right this whole album felt like i was watching a set at a local coffee shop in the late 90s drinking your vanilla caramel vanilla caramel cappuccino latte cappuccino latte (laughs) polite clapping after every song yeah that's really all i got for the first song it's not not the best album opener the violin solo toward the end was cool that was cool they did use utilize a lot of strings lots of strings on this album Yeah, it's about all I've got as well. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to track number two, Anything. This is my 45th depressing tune. I love the transition. They did a lot of really cool, seamless transitions throughout the record. I always appreciate that. Yeah, they're all about like the seamless transitions. Yeah, that's to their credit on this whole album. I would say mm-hmm. they ch- they chose which songs to transition well and the order yeah. of the songs, and then they chose which songs not to do transitions on very well. In addition, because right. that's but, that's important. You could you could really wear out that trope like. Yes, every definitely. Song, if every song transitioned, like shifts yeah. into the next one, that could get. But old. so this goes back to what I was saying a second ago. I do feel like this whole album feels like a set, like a live, like this. Probably before they recorded the album, this was probably their live set, right? That they played every Saturday night at the local coffee shop, front to back, all the way through. Exactly like it's on the record. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, but this song, after the transition, I love the acoustic guitar and the phaser on the electric guitar. That was really cool. Yeah, that was cool. I don't know. I think it was the first lyric, maybe, or one of the first lyrics. Looking for money when they clean my artistic womb. Wow. Yeah. That feels super 90s too, but that's good. It's good. It's very good. It stuck with me. I was like, yeah. Whoa. It's quite the image. I didn't look up the lyrics for this. Did they say artistic womb or wound? I didn't look them up either. I'm. That's just based on what I 
thought I heard. Okay. Let's to check me, that the out. visual of artistic womb is really striking because, you know, as anybody that is a, a creative on any level knows, like, you, a lot of times when you're making something, you feel like you're birthing a child in a sense, even though that may seem over the top, like it, I think is a, an apt description. So yeah. So the lyric is artistic womb. Okay. You're good. Right. Oh yeah. This song references the burning bush. Yeah. I like that first. Too. And I think one of the only biblical references on the record. We'll see. Okay. All right. Did you pick up on something that I didn't catch? Maybe. I saw, there's a couple more that I wrote down, but this was like the first, the most pronounced. Definitely the, the first like overt one. Yeah. The burning bush type sign, but anything would be fine. It was pretty fun. Yeah. Fun little lyric. I thought this felt like the perfect soundtrack song. Mm-hmm. This felt very, like I could see this on a WB show or oh yeah, a 90s romantic comedy or something. Right. I did want the drums and bass to kick in a little sooner yes. on this one. Yeah. I felt like it got a little stale with just the guitar and the vocal towards but the beginning. towards the end, though, when they went into that weird jam, what the heck is going on with that snare drum? Yeah, man. It went from like 4-4 four, four to 6-8. So I think, I feel like the rest of the song was in 4-4 four, four, and then it went to 6-8 and the snare was on 5. Yeah, can so you, like, you want to play that a little bit? Like, one, clap that two, out. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Yeah, which is not typical for a 6-8 progression. Very weird feel. Yeah. Which I think was the first moment for me that really like landed them in the jam band yes spot in my brain yes one thing i rest of this album one thing i did not realize is how much of a jam band they are really really jammy super jammy to their credit and and not yeah well there are moments where it works i'll talk about that a little bit more on a later song but again it's like you're you're using that coffee shop description it's like they they just went ham on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, definitely. All right, you got anything else for uh, anything? I was trying to figure out whether the woodwinds and strings were real or whether they were synthesizer parts. Yeah, I, I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I couldn't figure that out. I think it's a combination. Could be. Well, because also think about like the sampling technology in 1997 mm-hmm. was not quite what it is today. But I doubt that they had the budget for like a full or a semi-full orchestra. Right. For everything. I think they were pretty strategic. Like from a production standpoint, that is like they probably did a really good job of saving money and keeping on budget by mixing some of those things. Like some of the strings, like some of the lines that just felt like one note stretched out felt like Mellotron strings. Right. And then I think they probably brought in just a couple of live elements to sort of mask the synthesized elements. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really smart. It is. I like I liked the staccato strings that were kind of at the end of the last chorus. Mm-hmm. That was really nice. And that those felt real, at least. Yeah. Whether they were or not, yeah. I don't know. But I did say, too, that there were points in this song that got really busy. And they were like, it was like distractingly busy. Yeah. There were just a lot of strings, woodwinds, drums, bass, multiple guitars, and her vocals. Not to say that can't work, but right. like there yeah, were a lot of moments feel... in the song that was it was a little cacophony. Yep. As opposed to intentional. That's all I got for that one. Sweet. All right, so song number three, the waiting room. The... Fight to your 
another really cool transition. Yep. I liked that. This was really when I felt like this was like a set, like a live set that they've worked on a lot. Yep. All the transitions a major, felt really organic. And there's a major dynamic shift too from, mm-hmm. from the last song to this one. It gets a little languid. Yeah. Like she's just hanging out. Yeah. A little more laid back. This is the first song on the record that has my favorite thing. Is that sweet, sweet bass? Sweet, sweet bass? Sweet, sweet bass. Yeah. I liked this song. It had like a weird kind of gypsy jazz feel. Yeah. Very minor. I was going to say, it almost feels like a musical theater number. Yes. Yes. There's a real theatricality to a lot of these songs. Mm -hmm. And this is like a prime example of that. Yeah. A lot of weird kind of minor chords bouncing off of each other and mood shifts. 100%. I think, so I don't have, beyond this, I don't have a ton of notes about their lyrics because by this point in the record, I kind of already tuned out a lot of the lyrics. Mm, Kind of like what I was talking about before, like it felt like a lot of flowery language that wasn't saying a lot. Right. And I almost kind of treated the vocal just like another instrument. Instrument, sure. Which I think they did too. Right. That's probably intentional, but then I didn't emotionally connect to a lot of the record because of that right conceptually i did say like this one if it was a little less like theatrical and a little less like it had like some goofy strings and percussive elements that work for the song but if if they weren't there it it could have been like a nirvana track yeah you know yeah if it was less theatrical and a little Definitely. more like angsty yeah and aggressive Ooh, i didn't even pick up on that yeah that makes sense i could see kurt cobain singing this song definitely although they did go into their one jam towards the end it went into a section that i felt it seemed very like a james bond theme yes like with the minor but it, the kind of guitar that like it felt very james bondy mm-hmm. cinematic yeah 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 Maybe they were trying to get this on a soundtrack, too. Maybe. What James Bond film would have been out in 97? Uh, one of the Pierce Brosnan Goldfinger? ones. Goldfinger? No, it was... Uh, oh, I'm sure James Bond fans are... Right, wasn't Goldfinger of Pierce uh, No, no, Goldfinger was, like, old school. Goldfinger was, like, 60... It was 64. Huh, what am I thinking of? Golden Eye. Golden Eye, what that's what I'm of. thinking of. Yeah. God, how could I get him so mixed up? Yeah, the world is not enough. The world is not enough, yeah. Tomorrow never dies, die another day in Goldeneye. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably like around around that time. Yeah, I could see this on Goldeneye. I could too. All right, that's all I got though. Yep. Same. Oh man, I'm really hoping that our final verdicts are not displayed in our analysis of the album thus far. I don't think so. Okay, because I feel like I sound really tired of the album already. Mm. Well, if you say it, then it's going to sound that way. <laughs> That's true. Subtext becomes text. You need to take a nap, Kyla? Uh, I do need to take a nap. All right, so moving on to track number four. This is the big one. The big one. Kiss me. Kiss me out of the bearded barley. feels here in this yep but also i don't okay so i don't know if it's just because i've heard it within so many different contexts right i didn't feel like this song fit on the record 
mm. with the other songs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Production-wise, melodically, lyrically, it didn't seem to really fit. It was a lot simpler. And this goes back to what I was initially thinking of the rest of the album kind of holding up this one single. Right. I don't know. What do you think? I think um, There She Goes, which we'll get to, and this track could be on an album together. Yeah. I think maybe also like, I don't know, maybe like Sister Mother and Love could be on that same album. Yeah. Like a little happier. Right. A little more like poppy. Right. um, Just in general. But yeah, a lot of these other songs don't seem to match that. But I think it goes back to being a band recording their first album. Exactly. They said they probably have worked on all these songs for years. years. Yep. And it's probably just all they have. Right. So they're throwing everything at the wall. Exactly. Seeing what sticks. They've got some hooky poppy ones like we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then these others, the majority I would say, that are a little more angular and angsty yeah. and jammy and Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hear what you're I hear what you're saying there. Yeah. But there's some cool music stuff in here. I like that they did the stops. Before I wrote the second that. verse. I was like, hard stop before second verse. Yeah. So cool. It was so cool. That's what I wrote too. Um, I just wrote cool stop. Yeah. So. Uh, that bass slaps. Mm-hmm. Good bass work on this one. Really good bass work. Feel It starts to feel really like, once again, that is very much of the time. Right. But it feels really chunky. And I yeah. like that. I yep. like that. It really holds down that low end. Right. It's it's a it's a pronounced rhythm section. Yeah. Which which keeps the ear interested, mm-hmm. kind of keeps you in the song, yeah, a little more. I gotta know though, Kylan, what the hell is bearded barley? I'm guessing it's barley that <laughs> that can a grow a beard. No, I feel like I don't know. I I have a sense of like bearded barley is maybe like the barley plant before you reap it oh like reaping the barley is like is like shaving yeah like it's like fuzzy i think i think it's fuzzy uh i'm gonna look it up sure i just for those that don't know the the line is kiss me out of the beard in barley and uh you know for some reason i've never really analyzed that lyric until now and I'm just massively confused by it. Like, okay, well, you're not the only one. There's lots of when I Google bearded barley, everything that shows up is question mark, question mark, question mark. Kiss me out of the bearded barley question mark. What the heck is bearded barley? <laughs> Kiss me, bearded barley. So I'm glad I'm not alone. Yeah, it's not. There's bar- a, there's a support group out there for me. For real, <laughs> barley is a cereal that has lots of spikes which resemble a beard. So. What kind of beards are people looking at that have spikes? Well, I think that's just fuzzy. I think the okay. plant itself is just fuzzy. Sure. So, and bearded barley sounds flowery. And... Right. Well, I'm just going to picture barley now with like... Wearing little beards. Massive beards. That's perfect. Yeah. Can you picture barley without beards? What What does barley look like? Just grains. Just grains on a stem. So like wheat? Sure. But does it look like oats? No. What do oats look like in the wild? What do bearded oats look like in the wild? This is freaking me out. Do they have like mutton chops? <laughs> well, this reminds me of, okay, have you ever seen what a cashew plant looks like? No, nah, I'm allergic to nuts. Well, okay, so I don't, but you can, I don't really care you're about not, You're not allergic cashews. to Googling. I don't know. I haven't plants. tried. Okay. I might have a reaction if I try to Google 
cashews. No, I'm gonna Google it right now. I'm gonna show you. <laughs> no, it is crazy. Like, okay, j- just tell me. So, even though you're allergic to most nuts or all nuts, I don't know. All. Okay, so even though you're allergic to nuts, what do you imagine like nuts, different nuts growing? Because you've seen like in Texas, there's like pecan trees. Sure. Or walnut trees. Walnuts, almonds, yeah. So what, can you just tell me? So we're going off on this tangent because I don't have anything else about this song. Um, What do you think a cashew looks like before it's like in a trail mix bowl? It's like a sort of like Cheeto shape and it's it's like green. Is it like on a bush or like does it grow underground? What do you think? It's like, yeah, it's some kind of bush and it's like a hanging, like, like almost like a bunch of bananas. But it's just like cashews. Okay, do you want to have your mind blown? Yeah, blow my mind. Look at that. Whoa, this is the worst radio ever because the be, listeners no, can't see. They'll look it up. Oh, okay. look, it, look up. it up. We'll provide a link in the show notes. That's crazy. Okay, Isn't that crazy? So I'm just going to describe yes, to please. everybody. It looks like pears or like pomegranates or something with weird little almost like like bell peppers or something yeah or bell peppers with like little poops coming off yeah of the and bottom. the poops that's the cashew nut that's the cashew that's the part you pick off and eat well i'm, I'm super glad i'm allergic to nuts now because yeah. that's weird i don't want to eat that that's really gross and i don't have to because i'm allergic to it hashtag ban cashews cashew poop <laughs> <laughs> well so i like the melodica in this song melodica is great Super fun Can line. you explain a melodica for people that might not know? A melodica is like a fusion between a really silly woodwind and a tiny piano. So you like play the keys while you blow air into this little plastic tube and it makes yeah. kind of sound. It's amazing. It's the goofiest instrument that people will be really impressed with if you tell them you put it on a record. Yeah. But it's really fun. Very fun. I love it. But I don't it. think they use it anywhere else on the record. Nope. Once again, it's another thing that makes the song feel out of place. Yeah. But in a good way. I, th- I mean, it works for the song. Yeah. It's a tasteful it inclusion totally. of the melodica. You got anything else for this song? Uh, I, I have to give them props for the lyric. Lift your open hand, strike up the band, make the fireflies dance, silver moon sparkling. It's so good. It was very good. It was really good. Again, flowery. Very flowery. I think this time it says something. Yeah. There's a visual there. Yeah, definitely. I can see like the person coming up to yeah. propose a dance. Yeah. Was this song scene. featured? Was this ever featured in a TV show or movie that has a scene with people on a dock? Maybe this is Dawson's Creek. Maybe this is what Gotta I'm thinking. Because be. every time I hear this song, I think of two people kissing around a lot of boats. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that is. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not I alone. Can, no, in that. I can see it. Okay, that may be the Dawson's Creek thing I'm thinking of. Either that, or we're both having like a shared delusion, <laughs> that's, which that's is valid. possible. Yeah. Either way, we like the idea of this song being paired with boat a kissing. romantic <laughs> dock scene. Yeah. Hashtag boat kissing. <laughs> Hashtag cashew poops. All right, moving on to track number five: cashews, 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 cashews. Now, track number five is easy to ignore. Which is how I felt about this song. Ooh. Sick burn. Throwing some shade. I thought this sounded like 
Amy Grant doing a Gaelic Nashville tune. That's interesting. I thought of the Indigo Girls, so basically the same vibe. Yep. <laughs> Literally the same vibe. Yeah, uh, it was super interesting. It was very Lilith Fair. There's yeah. definitely, like you said, a Gaelic, a kind of an Appalachian influence. A little mashup. Yeah, it felt kind of like you could hear, like with the fiddle, or this didn't feel like fiddle. There is one song in particular that where it felt like a fiddle was being played. Mm-hmm. This more felt like violin, very yeah. Gaelic or old time. But yeah, I music. would say also like you could, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, you say the word fiddle, I think country, but I also do think like Celtic or Gaelic. Right. So I don't know, whatever. But there's also some bagpipe, I think. Yeah, I think there, so. I think towards the end. Which is interesting. There was a, a interesting feel on the drums. It was like syncopated 4-4 with a, like a, one and a on the snare which yeah. kind of kept it moving in a weird way kind of a lilting feel and i thought it was way too long yes i wrote that the instrumental was way too long um my notes kind of i kind of wandered off a little bit and i i wrote if it were not oh so we we're sitting by the river listening to this right and i said if it were not for this podcast i'd be asleep right now this podcast yeah, listen to the record. If it weren't oh, for oh, the podcast. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Like, if it weren't for... As in, like, you were doing homework. Exactly. So you had to stay awake and pay but attention. But I don't, I don't necessarily mean that as, like, a bad thing. Right. It is very soothing. Oh, and then yeah. sitting, like, while the river was playing, or while the river was flowing, mm-hmm. the music was playing with the fiddle, and, you know, it just... So basically, it, you're just, like, complicating this song. Yes. Basically. <laughs> basically. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Checks out. That's all I had for it, though. It did feel way too long. Yep. Moving on to track number six, Puedo Escribir. Yep. Puedo Escribir. I can write. So I didn't realize until doing some research while we were listening to this that I guess this is most of the lyrics are based on a Pablo Neruda poem. Okay. Which I guess makes sense, but this goes back again to the to the band name and the vibe. It right. feels very much like a college thing to do. Right. Like when you're in college, you're like, oh, I love public. Like you're discovering all these things, like Steinbeck and Hemingway and Nietzsche and, and Pablo Neruda, deciding and, that they are everything to you. Correct. They're your identity. So then, as a band from New Braunfels, Texas, that lives in Nashville, you decide to write a song entirely in Spanish, even though it is not your native language. Sure. And it doesn't really work for me. No, it's super weird. You know, I can, I there's a side of me that can appreciate it from an artistic perspective of just like bringing a sec, a different sort of feel, a different perspective into the conversation of the album. Right. But it also does feel kind of like, look at me, I'm intellectual. Exactly. Well, then then a big a big problem for me with the song too is I really think a big part of it was that she's not a native Spanish speaker. Mm. It I could feel her struggling to get through the song. Right. Like I think it felt a little out of her range right. too. So it didn't emotionally connect with me at all. Like she I didn't feel comfortable in it, which it was kind of the vibe of the music too. But if you look at the lyrics, I feel like, hold on, I'm going to pull up the lyrics real quick. Yeah, but while you're doing that, I totally agree. Like, it was kind of pushing her her vocal range. And, 
yeah, if it's like a second language kind of situation, like it's not going to connect with the with the listener as much. You're gonna kind of feel that that disconnect as she's kind of forcing it. She's trying too hard. I mean, so the lyrics translate to the night wind revolves in the sky and sings. The night wind revolves in the sky to hear the immense night still more immense without her. And the verse falls to the soul like dew to the pasture. Tonight I can write the saddest lines, the saddest lines about her. Hmm. I didn't feel that emotionally. Nope. Just, you know, and especially if you're going to produce a song that's in a language that you don't speak, that your primary audience doesn't speak, I feel like you should really focus on having that emotional connection. Because there are right. plenty of songs in other languages that I don't know what they're saying, but but you still feel something. Or yeah. even like a made-up language, like, like Sigur Rós. Right. For instance, like everything they sing is in a made-up language, but you can feel... There's an emotion. A really what distinct... he's trying to convey. Yeah, it and lands this, with you. There's a huge disconnect between what the lyrics mean and how she's portraying it. Yeah, because it feels at times like a punk song. Yeah. And so for that flowery language, like the dew, the wind, mm -hmm. like that sounds like something that should be a really like mellow kind of. It'd be really cool if it was like just acoustic. Song, yeah. And this like did a lullaby, not, basically. Right. And this did not have that feel at all. I don't know how I feel about it, but there's a really interesting uh, rhythmic element. It does, I think I've got this right, it does two bars of six eight to one bar of two four in part of it. And then it goes to like a two four punk beat. Yeah. In part yeah. of it. So it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one and two and one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Which is just very strange. It's cool. It has a nice I mean, it has a rhythmic identity that separates yeah. it from a lot of other, you know, kind of bland four four right. songs. Which well, I appreciate. It, yeah. Well it felt very jammy between between the bass and the drums. Right. It felt like they were really locked in together on that. Right. Which I wrote to you, it felt like if we're going back to the analogy of like, this is a live set at a coffee house. This is the song where the bass and the drums jam for three minutes before the song starts. Right. As the lead singer goes and gets her, her free cappuccino latte. Iced hazelnut. Yeah. yeah. Right. To like and, take a break. And the, and the drummer and the bassist are just like frenzied out. And they're so stoked. They're having no one a else, blast. No one else cares. Yeah. The one guy in the back that came to see the bassist is like... Oh, nice chops. Yeah. Everybody else is like, what are we doing? Yeah. I know this feels very specific, but I've been there. That's <laughs> Oh, yeah. I was that guy that showed up to see the bassist. And you were the drummer. And I was the drummer. And I was the drummer. Somehow. We, yeah, we've just... <laughs> it's a weird song, guys. It listen to song. it. I Please go it. listen to it. Just because it'll, it'll stick in your mind. That's true. All for, right. For you better or for worse. Else? No, I, I don't think so. All right. We're just blasting through this. We are, but... It's time now for our segment, If This Album Were a Person. So, so listeners, while we, while we kind of wax uh, philosophical over here, you might think about what you think. Who, who is this album to you? If it, if it were to be a person. If it were to be a person. I guess famous or otherwise. Yeah. Kind of the, the prompt in my mind is a celebrity of some kind. Right. But, but you know, maybe to you, listener, this album is your Uncle Jack. That's true. I don't know. What do you think? Have you um, have you landed on anybody? Yeah, I've got a couple ideas, but I'm not settled on anything quite okay. yet. Okay. I'm trying to think through it. Who is, can you think of, I, I, I can't think of the person I'm, 
I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Oprah adjacent. Right. Because it, you know, there's all this flowery language, pseudo spiritual. Mm-hmm. People love it, but not as like, not as exciting as Oprah. Like a sure. sleepy Oprah. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> Sleepy Oprah. Sleepy Oprah. Hashtag Sleepy Oprah. Is is who I think this album is. What about you? Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Why is she sleepy again? Well, just this, if you're thinking of the context of this whole record. Sure. It feels very sleepy. Okay. Her vocals feel very sleepy. All the flowery language. I wanted to take a nap while listening to it. And Oprah sometimes gets excited, like, and you get a car, and you get a car, and here we are. You know, but... So what's Sleepy Oprah? How would she do it? I guess you get a car. And you get a car. You sort of kind of get a car. And we all just love each other. (laughs) Amen. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. I've been working on my Sleepy Oprah impression for a while. Yeah, keep keep working on it. It's going. I don't really think it's it sounds places. like Sleepy Oprah. I've just been trying to work on that impression for months. Right. <laughs> this character that makes no sense. I love it. I'm Thanks. a big fan. Thanks. What about you? So, I I uh, I think I've got it. I really feel good about this, and I'm surprised because this album's so strange. This album is Judy Funny of the classic. 90s cartoon Doug yeah and here's why she means well she really does she has the best of intentions she cares about her little brother the little brother in our case is like the listener right you know she's always spouting off these platitudes and quoting these people she's she's got the beatnik kind of vibe she's a pseudo intellectual and she's not afraid to show it yeah so in all the ways that we're talking about you know this like uh, Mere Christianity is the band name, and the uh, the, the the flowery poem, the yeah. the different lyrics. Um, unintentionally, the album is is Judy funny. I like that. That's yeah. really good. That's a yeah. lot more thoughtful than my Sleepy Oprah. I I like Sleepy Oprah. I mean, they could hang out. They could go to the coffee shop and listen to Six Minutes of the Richer. Judy funny and and Sleepy Oprah. Sleepy Oprah. Yeah, I like that. They could hang. That's good. So that was our new segment. If this album were a person. <laughs> What did you think of it, listeners? We'll see if we keep it going. Let us know. <laughs> Who knows at this point? Like I said, we're kind of creating this in a vacuum. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun vacuum. Yeah. So back to uh, our analysis here. Yeah. Track seven, Kylan. Wait, track seven? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought we were on track eight. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Ugh, yeah. Uh, I Can't Catch You, track seven. intro we had to listen back i made you play it back a couple times yes because i couldn't put my finger on what it reminded me of right and then it hit me the intro sounds a little bit like snow by red hot chili peppers that's it with that guitar that like with the hammer-ons and and pull-offs mm-hmm. and the snare the snare sounded very chili peppers very yeah. chili peppers yeah 100 percent. i only have one other note on this so i might go ahead and say it and then give say you the it. floor uh, when she sings the line "Feeling the Pain," where she kind of goes up, yeah. that was the first really interesting vocal line I heard on the whole record. 
was the first line that I didn't expect. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And cool. so that that kind of kept me hooked throughout. But I kept wanting more of that. And they were really sparse with it. A lot of it was really boring. Mm-hmm. But every now and then they would do that. She would sing that line and she would go up. And it really kept me interested throughout. Right. Huh. That's interesting. I didn't like key in on that. But now that you say it, it's true. That was kind of a, a weird, cool choice mm-hmm. vocally. Uh, all I said on this one was, is this a Hillary Duff movie? She's on the back of a Vespa with a sexy Grecian god flying down the cobblestone streets of a Mediterranean villa. Love the Lizzie McGuire movie. That's how the song made me feel. (laughs) Yeah. Which is probably the vibe they were going for. Yeah. They're probably like, oh, well, Kiss Me will be on this soundtrack and this song will be on this soundtrack. Yeah. I know, it all felt very soundtracky. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's if that's what they're going yeah. for, like, good for them. Because there's so, money there. That's true, that's true. So, I, yeah, I think that goes back to the album as a whole. I didn't really emotionally connect with any of it. Right. It all did feel commercial. You know, it felt like it was all very intentionally trying to get on yeah. soundtracks right. and compilation CDs. Yeah, it's that, uh, it's that pseudo-intellectual Judy Funny again. Yeah, exactly. Like kind of trying to put on this persona, but not really landing with right. maybe the real deal demographic. Yeah. But the thing is, too, it, honestly, through listening to this record, it does make me want to listen to a lot of their other albums because this was hmm. their first one. Right. And it does feel very much like a college band. Right. Like a college town, college band that's figuring a lot of stuff out. And I'm curious to see now two or three albums down the road to see yeah i don't think it was intentional for them that this one song or the two songs on this record became so big yeah more of a happy accident yeah i am curious to see if they how they evolved and changed as a band hmm. and how if that language in the lyrics kind of changed if the musicality kind of changed and maybe yeah. they did evolve into a much better band than is shown here maybe so so let's do track number eight the lines of my earth. The line. The lines are lives. Sorry. Lines. Okay. You had it right. Sweet. I couldn't it's read a my notes. weird line. The lines of my earth. real piano that i heard hmm, that's true going off of your uh, your coffee shop analogy to me this is where the band is transported from the coffee shop into a smoky jazz bar yes the song is not jazz but it wants to be yes 100 percent. it's trying to be jazz hard yes they even got the upright bass they got that muted trumpet. Mm-hmm. Things are smoky. They're sexy. They're sleepy. Yeah, Oprah. trying to get like a New Orleans vibe, like mm-hmm. with the muted trumpet. And I wondered when the lady in the big hat was gonna walk into the private eyes office. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was waiting That's why I said, that. yeah, a real noir vibe. Yep. Yeah, but yep. okay. So this was the first song that it really hit me. But if you listen to the whole record. One musical thing, we're going to go off into some music nerddom Let's do real it. quick. One thing that I noticed that they heavily rely on throughout this record, and once I noticed it, it's one of those things, you know, when you're watching a TV show and then the person you're watching it with will be like, hey, do you ever notice that this one actor blinks way too much and then it just it's bugs you? All you, cannot, you can see. Yes. Yeah. This is how I felt about this. Okay. So they do a chord progression. They really heavily rely on the... So basically what it's called is they heavily rely on 
the the five flat six six chord progression yeah so basically what that means is within a key if the root note is one most of like most songs play you know as you go up on the scale the second note in the scale is two then three then four then five six seven back to one most pop songs utilize the one the four the five and the six but there's this trick where when you play the five and then you play the half note between the five and the six. So it sounds like this. Okay, I thought it was easier to just play it rather than explain it. But they utilize that in almost every song. Right. And then it started to really bug me mm-hmm. the rest of the record. That's all you can hear. That's all I could think of. Yeah, I noticed that ascending line too. Yeah, it starts to wear on you. You're like, okay, I can see how it works for this song or this song. Right. But when it, it starts cropping up a lot more, it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Mix it like up a little one. bit. And this goes back to like, they're trying to be jazz. But the only other thing I wrote about this song is how are they so jammy yet so musically uninteresting? Yeah. I You're putting words to a feeling that I had. While listening to this album, it was like because I don't love jam bands, right? But but there are times where, as a musician, especially live, you love watching a jam band if they're good. Exactly. There, you know, as a music nerd, I can appreciate a lot of the musicality in jam bands, even if I don't necessarily love it. Right. And this just felt so boring, mm-hmm. which goes back to the soundtrack thing. Right. Like it would be perfect if it was playing under some dialogue of unrequited love like maybe a fight after the boat kiss right walking inconsolably down the lane it starts to rain yeah that's where this song is exactly with some voiceover or something that's kind of masking yeah right it just feels really boring i agree uh i will say though this song to me was it was interesting um because it seems to be about writer's block or upholding wanting to uphold some artistic ideals versus being a sellout or going corporate which makes me think about the newsboys yeah it makes me think about most of the albums that we've reviewed so far have had a little tangent about being a sellout or yeah maybe it was a cultural thing around that time of like like being a sellout was like the worst thing possible but also everyone desperately wanted to be a sellout right and the conflict there Right. Whereas today, I think in terms of music, like, you know, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that was about how branding agencies have sort of become the new record labels. Right. And how there's not this stigma, how it was specifically about Tegan and Sarah and some Mm -hmm. major ad agency Mm -hmm. and how they got commissioned to write a song for an ad campaign. Mm hmm. And they were talking about how their record label wouldn't give them any money to do this. And so but, you know, there's not this stigma associated with quote-unquote selling out right but i think that was a huge preoccupation with a lot of bands around this time yeah and it's interesting because it's like she can't decide kind of referring to her the lyrics here as she sings them she says the lines of my earth so brittle unfertile and ready to die i need a drink but the well has run dry and that's like almost like a writer's block kind of thing or like i you know i've lost my creative muse or something and then and we in the habit of saying the same things all over again for the money we shall make this is the last song that i write till you tell me otherwise and it's because i just don't feel it that's a bummer yeah 
Like that is bleak. That is a bummer. For like as you know, as a creative person right. listening to that, I'm like, man, I feel that. I've yeah. been there and it sucks. But but also like there's an interesting component to this for them because they're actually they stand to make some money. Right. Yeah. They stand to have some yeah. success. And so there's this kind of I idealistic artistic but vision. that kind of goes back once again to like that the idea of the college band like it feels a little naive right completely it's like this is your first record and you're already talking about how your creativity is unfertile and the well is dry right it feels a little disingenuous right it feels like it feels like an intellectual exercise yep. a philosophical exercise more more than a true feeling real life yeah, yeah. right whereas like Five Iron Frenzy was like talking about how the, the tour van smelled so bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they were superheroes, yeah, you know? Like, yeah. It's just interesting. But I do think this is like part of the the 90s music world is like, is selling out, quote unquote, selling out a bad thing? Right. Or like, do we just lean into it? Yeah. Is there a way to do that? And there's a tension there, I think, for a lot of bands. Yeah, definitely. So just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was an interesting thing to throw right in the middle of an album. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I agree. That was a good point too. But yeah, that's all I got about that one. Cool. All right, let's move on to track number nine, Sister Mother. My life is plain. My mistakes broken love Slaps in the face But I'm trying to Cool. They rhymed mother and brother. Yeah, I said family words. <laughs> Neat. So I guess neither of us are really a big fan of this song. I will say, Cards though, you, you mentioned like a while back, whichever song it was that had the overt biblical reference. I think a lot of this is from some Psalms or Proverbs or something. Yeah, I think so. Um, because it's like, or maybe some New Testament stuff, because uh, some of it seems kind of like brotherly love, like a kind of Jesus thing. Right. But then also, like, maybe romantic, question I know. mark. I wrote, I really hope the line, kiss her like a sister, is not sung to the same person as kiss me. <laughs> yes. Or even, if you'll be her brother, she'll kiss you like a sister. It's like, okay, uh, I hope that's how. <laughs> yeah. I, ho- I hope that's all. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. I think it, it was probably a lot of biblical stuff that maybe went over our heads. Right. I love the guitar tone. Yeah, yeah. Good guitar tone. It was beautiful. Tone. And it... And it, it like lyrically it does kind of land back on the kind of overly intellectual right spot of like what are you saying yeah i don't it's understand like that, fo- that faux deep philosophy 101 do you even know what yeah. you're saying but yeah that's all i got me too all right let's move on to track number 10 i won't stay long obvious kiss me this might be my favorite song on the record really i think so dude you and i are what? finding our areas of 
disparity. <laughs> I hated this one. Really? I thought I wrote filler track, hate her vox, cool strings, question mark? Okay. okay. So That's defended. funny. Okay. So I thought the whole song felt super off kilter. No, it does. It feels like the bass doesn't know what the drums are doing, doesn't know what the guitars are doing, doesn't know what the vocals are doing. Right. But I think that's intentional. Okay. And I like it. Her voice, she's really struggling to hit those notes. Yep. But it works in the context of all the other instruments. It feels, it's not a breakneck speed. It's one of the faster songs on the record. Right. Which I will say I did appreciate because so much of the album is so sleepy. Right. I kind of liked that they injected some energy exactly at this point I in the liked, album. Like I felt nervous listening through this song. And you like that? But I did. I interesting. I don't typically, but I think in the context of this record, right? I think I needed something like that. Sure. I needed something musically interesting that because makes sense. so much of the rest of the record, you know, we were talking about this before we got back on mic. I was trying to find a way to say this without sounding douchey. I don't feel like they contributed much to the musical conversation. I felt like this album could have also, the exact same album could have been produced by the Indigo Girls or Paula Cole or Tracy Chapman or a myriad of other artists. There is nothing that they brought to it in the way that as much as I disliked Jesus Freak, I still felt like parts of it were an artistic statement that had impact. Right. And that meant impact. Yeah. There was a unique quality to some of it. Yeah. But I kind of had this feeling a little bit with the Five Iron Frenzy record, Mm -hmm. which I think kind of led to my feelings about that in general. Mm -hmm. So to go back to this song, I liked that it kind of jolted me. Hmm. And I felt like there was one part where they did the the chord and vocal walk down that felt very Beatles-esque. Oh, yeah. Which was uh-huh. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Okay. I get well, I get why you wouldn't. I get why you don't. I, I think it was kind of chaotic in that way. Like you're talking about each instrument and the vocals not knowing what the other's doing. But maybe I need to listen to it again and consider that that was an intentional choice. Because yeah. I just decided kind of right off the bat that I don't like that about it. Right. And, I, and yeah, I just like whatever it was about her, her vocal style in this one, I just like couldn't really get into it. That's not to say it was bad. Right. It was no, just not see, for me. That's what, I, that's what I liked. It felt a little more punk rock. It was the first time that I felt the emotion she was trying to get across. Hmm. Okay. It was like like we were talking about with the uh, with track number six. Right. Where that didn't work. Right. I felt like... This time it landed. It, it did work yeah. for this song. But yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so yeah, track 11. Love. Love. another contender for me yeah for one of the best songs on yep. the record i agree uh, i like that they finally gave the basses some room in the yeah. beginning it's very jammy with just the drums and bass mm-hmm. and the bass is real big in the mix right there yep uh with the guitar coming in with sort of the the edge style dotted eights i literally delay. wrote did they get the edge to play this guitar yeah okay well that's the funny thing is later on i know we were talking i was like 
why do I love this song so much? And then I was like, oh, it's because it's a U2 song. It's a U2 song. It straight up is a U2 song. Yeah. From all the way from like the kind of like driving bass and drums with kind of a sparse feel to the guitar tone and the guitar playing to the like massive sound that the song gets once it expands. Right. The strings come in. It's huge. It yeah. sounds like a stadium rock. I know. It totally is a U2 song. Like, like I, War Era or like Octoon Baby, like you said. Yeah. Very much U2. But I thought, too, at the beginning, that sort of intro felt really long. And going back to my analogy of this was a set, uh-huh. the coffee house. This is the part where the lead singer introduces the rest of the band. Oh, yeah. She's like, and just rocking that rhythm section, <laughs> killing it on the skins. <laughs> You know, we got the bass player too, and everyone, and then the bass like does a little thing, and everyone kind of politely claps. And over here we got Matt <laughs> Slocum. <laughs> and then the barista goes woo, and everyone else is just kind of politely clapping. Yeah, this was at the point where baristas were still like happy, nice people, right? Before the third wave hipster barista. Um, I will say too, she says the line about love that it is patient, it is kindness, which is right. the other overt biblical, biblical reference. reference. Yes, there it is. Yeah. Um, also, the strings that build huge, like I talked about, kind of halfway through. So obviously, there are a lot of bands that do this to kind of grow a song when you when you think that it's gotten as big as it's going to get, then all of a sudden there's a huge kind of ascending string line. Right. Um, obviously, there's a lot of bands that do that, but to me, it seemed like a lot of Arcade Fire songs that I've heard. Yeah. In a good way, like right. just expansive, expansive, like intentional compositional choice. Right. Which makes me want to see this song live. Yeah, this felt like the least coffee shop. Like this felt like the most full band, like most thought through, besides, once again, the obvious singles. Right. But, but a lot of intentional musicianship. Okay. I would have loved to hear more stuff like this. You would have loved to? On the record. Yeah. Agreed. But I and think maybe that's because... where, that's the direction they were heading in. Like you talked about maybe. wondering, yeah. you know, a few albums down the road, like maybe they do some more of this. Yeah. But Which also it may be, I'm just a big U2 fan. Sure. You talking U2 to me? <laughs> Get out of here. All right. Track number 12, moving on. I loved the phaser on the vocal. So what was the name of this song? Moving on? Yeah, I know we're moving on, but what song are we talking about? Who's on first? <laughs> no, why is on third? Cashies, Cashies, Cashies. Sleepy Oprah and more. <laughs> Track 12, Sleepy Oprah. <laughs> moving on. It has got into my head Permeates the path I tread But I tread I love the phaser. See, we're goofier when we're in person. I like doing it in person. Me too. Because on it's Zoom, so there's so the disconnect, and I'm just trying to like... And the timing. The jokes don't land. I know. <laughs> I don't know if they land now either, but... <laughs> they do for me. That's all that matters. <laughs> so listen, I like the phaser on the vocal. Yes, and the guitar. Yeah, it's really cool. Very cool. I haven't really heard that kind of phaser effect on a vocal throughout a whole song, really. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool musical touch. That's all I wrote. Okay, well, I got a couple more things. What do you got? Um, I feel like... It, so this song in particular sort of highlighted to me 
the thing that this album suffered from that I think a lot of 90s bands, a lot of bands around this time doing this kind of music suffered from this idea of trying to showcase unique melodies Hmm. and unique musical lines and chord changes that I don't really like. Oh, So this yeah. is very subjective, obviously. Right. Right. But, you know, a lot of the the vocal line kind of goes up really high, then down really low. Mm-hmm. And the chord changes are, they modulate between major and minor on certain chords that don't necessarily fit within the key. Yeah, it's like they didn't need to It's trying to be to jazz. That. I yeah. like when you said that. It's trying to be jazz. Right. And it's not. Nope. And it drives me a little bit crazy. Yep. It feels like a forced choice. Right, right. And like I said, it's it's not just Sixpence None the Richer, and it's not just this record. Right. It's a lot of bands around this time. Right. That I just can't really get behind. That's like they found their genre, and then they were like, how do we dress it up and get fancy and exactly. interesting? And it didn't quite work. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's all I got. Yeah. Well, last track. Last track. Track 13. We made it this far. There she goes. Where? Classic 90s acoustic guitar intro. Yes. Oh, we should mention though that this is a cover of The Laws. Or the, I think it's just The Laws. Okay. Like La, like La La La. LA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is really funny though. I took a screenshot because when I Googled There She Goes, the first thing that pops up, people also ask, what movie is the song There She Goes? Who wrote the song There She Goes? <laughs> and what happened to Sixpence None the Richer? Oh my God. <laughs> Let us just publicly apologize yeah. for the Googling. What happened to them is that they're featured on the fourth episode of Church Jams Now. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah. Go so, team. Yeah. I love very, very 90s acoustic intro. Yeah. But this also feels so different from the rest of the album. Yeah. Like I said, it works with Kiss Me. Yeah. And maybe Love and yeah. a couple of other like happier, poppier tracks. But most of them don't fit with this style yeah at all i did like that they did um uh, another music nerd thing on the second chorus notes that should have been major they did the minor inversion mm-hmm. which was really cool it kind of kept it interesting because there's not a lot of lyrics uh melodically it doesn't do doesn't change a whole lot right so doing those little changes kind of kept you interested it's also like a brisk song like what 244 or something like that yeah it's pretty it was quick. one of the shorter ones which makes sense that it became a radio hit you know right um there's also a lot of um very like focused specific stops rolls and fills on the drums yeah and like i thought like tasteful bass lines as well Mm -hmm. the bass was real chunky again too holding down that that low end yeah which i enjoy which again kind of keeps the ear intrigued yeah keeps the listener kind of bopping along yeah very fun it was so i uh we did it we went through the whole Self-titled Sixpence None the Richer record. We sure did. I think, TJ, you have a very important question. I do. Does Oprah use any <laughs> sleep aids to get so sleepy? NyQuil, baby. NyQuil, baby. You get a NyQuil. You get a NyQuil. Official sponsor of Church Jams now. You get an Ambien. No, they're not. Good night, Gail. Good night.
Ooh, Oprah. Good job. <laughs> that was my duty funny, everybody. <laughs> Did you figure it out? Uh, so... Follow us, support us on Patreon if you want to hear our spinoff show, <laughs> Judy Funny and Sleepy Oprah, our terrible improv show. Kylan, is Sixpence None the Richer's self-titled album a flop or a bop? <laughs> Man, I know that I initially said that this was going to be a flop for me. Yeah, you did. And I hated saying it. I know. I hate, I hate it every time. I saw the pain in your eyes. And I tried really hard throughout this whole record. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I really came in with an open mind, an open heart. Yeah, good for you. But I came away sixpence none the richer. Oh. I think this was a flop, man. Like I said, it goes back to essentially they didn't add anything. Mm-hmm. This could have been any band. Mm-hmm. Get rid of Kiss Me and There She Goes. I would not give a shit about this record. I, I would not go through any, I don't think there's any time where I would go through now, even on like a road trip or anything, I, I wouldn't sit down and listen to this record in its entirety. Yep. I would put Kiss Me and There She Goes on like a throwback Thursday playlist. Sure. Or a Sound of the 90s compilation disc. Right. Or a Die Hard Dawson's Creek <laughs> compilation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know, man. There are some cool moments. I think the big thing for me, though, too, is, you know, we've kind of talked about this before. Like, you are typically a little more focused on lyrics. Like, like we listen to music a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much a vibe person. Right. And the vibe just made me sleepy. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't connect with it. Yeah. It sounded like great background music. It just didn't do it for me, man. Yeah. That bums me out. Yeah. But that's kind of the case. What about you? I I think I'm none the richer. Yeah. For listening to this album. I think it's a flop. Yeah. A lot of the same stuff you've said, a lot of it just kind of is bland and kind of washes out of my brain as soon as I've heard it. Yeah. Like it was hard this time because usually when we've done the show separately as well, I know we've kind of had our headphones and listened to the songs a little bit as we're talking about them. And this time I was, you know, I was kind of struggling to struggling to remember Recall the, song. the songs. Yeah. Yep. And that's, just that's a bad sign in one ear and out the other. Yeah. When that's happening, when you can't even place it. Right. That's a, that's but a bad sign. As soon as we finished listening to the record and we went to go walk around, we both had There She Goes stuck in our head. She goes. That was so good. I don't know if it's just me, but um, to their credit. To this band's credit, well, to their credit and the writing behind There She Goes and Kiss Me. I don't know if this is just me or if it's like a, a thing that happens to a lot of people, but with a lot of bands that have kind of some of those iconic hits, but you don't really know any of their other songs, I find that a lot of times I can just like lump them into one song. So right. kiss me and there she goes. Yeah, well that's what, yeah. So kiss me. Yeah. Just a loop man and like it's catchy it's good yeah and maybe like those were the two good ideas well okay so i wondered too so to go back so i did look up the liner notes of this record right one of the weird things is they had like six different engineers on the record Hmm. and everyone else that's not in the main band is just listed as musician okay but steve taylor 
Oh, our boy Steve. A, he, Mr. Nasty himself. I'm calling him Mr. Nasty now. <laughs> sure. Uh, he did have a producing credit. So I'm wondering mm. if he only maybe worked on those kinds of songs. Because he knows yeah. his pop music, man. True. I could I could see some, some Steve fingerprints on these songs. Yeah. Some of the bigger ones. Yeah, could be. Who knows? Well, I think that's all we got, man. Yeah. So join us next week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We'll link to those in the show notes. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yes. We super appreciate it. Tell all your friends, tell everybody. Leave a review, rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. I listen through Stitcher. They're not a sponsor. I just really like the app. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we got. Yep. Stay tuned for volume five. Church James Now. Of Church. James, now you get a car, you get a car.